if you watch a coach in an NBA or NFL, they're pacing, they're yelling, they're cajoling, they're motivating, they're supporting, they're doing everything, but they're not entertaining. Fitness has become entertainment with a modality of some exercise in it as a form of entertainment. My job as a coach is to move the needle. And so you have to call yourself, if you're your own coach, you got to call yourself on your BS. Oh, I'm too old to do this, or I'm too old to do that. That's just a bunch of BS. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. All right, Jacques DeVore, thank you for sitting down with me and welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So if listeners go to Microdosing Fitness, they will find a picture of you. And I have to say, you are one of the most fit, strong guys your age that I know. And I think, you know, you were telling me when we were chatting that people often mistake you for younger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have this tremendous array of elite athletes that you've worked with, and you're the owner of Sirens and Tightness Fitness in Los Angeles. Correct. And you also have a really interesting world record. What is that? I set the world record for the mile on the Versa Climber about uh, a year ago. Yeah, which is like, will make you break a sweat and will put you... You, you'll look at it and think, wow, that's, that looks pretty easy. We'll put you to your knees in like under a minute. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't done it, you got to try it. You're 100% right. And uh, I try to forewarn people because we, we were the first person to do a group Versa Climber class. And I've been on the Versa Climber for years because I was a wrestler in high school and college. And, and uh, the Versa Climber is the closest thing. If you want to feel what it is to to arrest to be in a wrestling match, go as hard as you possibly can for a minute and then see how you feel. <laughs> yeah. That's what a wrestling match feels like. So that's <laughs> why a lot of the UFC fighters use it. LeBron James has been popular with he's been picking it up and a lot of basketball players. There's no impact, which is great for me because I have knee issues and it's just unbelievable cardio. Yeah. So you have a very interesting lens at which you look at the fitness industry and you see how it has really failed those who really need it, those are, who are aging into our later years. And you and I both know that muscle is so important to maintain for longevity, to prevent injuries, to regulate our hormones. But you know, I think there's this mentality of like killing it in the gym every day, five, six days a week, and how maybe that's not the answer. And you are really a physical testament to how to lead this this idea of microdosing fitness which is also your next book yeah exactly uh what happened was is you know now that i'm in the gym business a lot of my friends from high school and college who were great athletes uh you know at a college level playing football or wrestling or otherwise fantastic athletes all of a sudden you know as they get into their 40s 50s and life gets in the way even in their 30s, you're starting to see it even more. And even in people's 20s, you're starting to see it because of the lack of physical education, schools, and all of that kind of thing. We've changed a lot. So life gets in the way. And I, I, they, they would come to me and they say, Jacques, hey, listen, just tell me what you're doing. Holy crap, how do you stay so fit? What are you doing? What are you doing? So all of a sudden, I said, well, what am I doing? <laughs> I kind of like said, how the hell have I been able? Because I was a futures and options trader for a lot of my career and in the finance business. So I was traveling all over the world and I was on planes and I was, I can go back to remembering when airports had nothing but the rolling hot dogs and popcorn, you know, that was the, your choices of food in an airport. So I asked myself, how have I been able to do it? And I started looking at it and I started realizing that what I have done consistently is small doses of exercise, but I do it regularly. So I've always had a pull-up bar somewhere in my house. And this morning, before I left for work, I did two sets of 15 pull-ups. And I have a couple of those push-up handles. Yesterday, I did 40 push-ups on the way out. Yesterday, in the gym, 
I did uh, a set of deadlifts that got pretty heavy. I did it all in about 12 minutes of time. Even before, though, I had access to a gym and, you know, obviously being able to walk out of my office and have a gym floor available makes microdosing much easier. But it doesn't mean that you can't set it up. I'm working on my mobility because I have a lot of knee issues. So I've been doing what I call gorilla squats, where you sit down and do a deep squat, hands inside, looks almost like you're praying inside of your knees. And uh, I've been microdosing in a minute to a minute and a half for six or seven minutes over the last three days because it's, and so this is a new mobility exercise that I'm microdosing in and anyone can do that in an office. So I really believe that there's no real reason why you can't and that the system that's built today is built, it's business driven. It's to get you in the gym for an hour to pay for something where I'm saying, gosh, if you just do it in small doses, you don't have to do four hours in a gym because it never really works. Number one, it's hard to get in there. Number two, unless you really love it, you don't want to get in there in many cases. And so, but if I could just say, gosh, I could move the needle 10 minutes at a time. And within a day, you can pull 10 minutes out of your day and say, I'm going to go do a set of deadlifts, even you, because you're at home and you say, okay, well, what could I do today? I could just do a wall squat. Literally, you could do the wall squat, you know, during a part of this podcast if you wanted to. Uh, so you may start breathing. It may not be the most effective thing to do, but you can squeeze it in if you're mindful of it. Yeah. And I have a couple of different interesting ways to do it. I think that the most effective way is to set a goal at the beginning of the day or the night before. So in other words, your goal would be, I am going to do 50 push-ups tomorrow, no matter what. Now, you could do all 50 in a row. You could do them five at a time. You could do them 10 at a time. But before you go to bed, you are going to finish 50 push-ups. And then what you do is you start cycling through what I call the five pillars of fitness, which is strength, power, mobility, high-intensity interval, and longer cardio. And so you pick your pillars and say, okay, today's going to be strength, upper body. You know, and maybe you have a couple of dumbbells at your house. You say, I'm going to do 100 curls by the time the day's done. And if you just start putting those in to your workout, it's amazing how much ground you cover and how much it adds up. And I really believe we were built that way. I also think it boosts serotonin levels because exercise does that. And I think that one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of people exercise is because it makes them feel better. But what if you're getting this serotonin release 10 minutes at a time throughout the day? How much better would you feel? Yeah. Uh, it just wouldn't come one hour and then you feel good after that. And you're stressed throughout the rest of the day. So I think a lot of the depression and mental stress and emotional stress that we suffer from as a society is because for 2 million years, we roamed around and did something throughout the day, little bits of exercise here or there. It wasn't like, oh, gosh, I'm going to warm up and you know go chase down whatever prey I was hunting at the time. Yeah. So it was more warm up, and you don't need warm ups if you do it more regularly. Injury risk goes down dramatically. Issues that you have, you start to see early on, so you can correct them much more readily. So it works so well on so many fronts that, as a strength coach, you know, our one, number one mandate is you don't want to injure somebody. Right. So, who doesn't have 10 minutes in their day? I'd love to break out the five principles, which you mentioned sure. strength, power, mobility high intensity and longer cardio, how would you break that out? And I know you have some samples within your online course, but like, how would you break that out for someone that has a nine to five schedule? So like, what would Monday look like using those five principles? Or what yeah, would a week um, look like using those five principles? What you said early in the podcast about the value of muscle it's not just for movement and everything else, but in the study of gerontology, they know that if a patient is laying in a bed when they're old and if their lean body mass, I think if it gets down below about 65%, it's almost guaranteed death because it's not because they're going to die because of the loss of lean body mass. They're going to die because lean body mass is the best defense against all disease, illness, and everything else. So you want leaner body mass on your body for longevity and 
great health later in your life. So you're going to have less illness because as you know, when someone dies, a natural causes, it's typically because they have an infection. They get a bronchitis, they get pneumonia, and then they die. But it's because of your inability to defend against disease starts to diminish. And in the study of gerontology, they don't know if it's because of old age that we die or lack of lean body mass that we die. Because as we get older, we continue to see, and I think it's nature's way of finally eliminating us. (laughs) (laughs) Natural selection, low muscle mass. Exactly. (laughs) Totally. It makes sense because testosterone drops, our ability to move drops. And if you see people that live long, they're usually the ones that are, you know, the old farmer or someone that's, you know, working in their garden and doing things regularly and being engaged. Anyway, let me come back to the pillars, the five principles in the day. So what I think is that you need to get one, you have to have what I call, I call it opening a window to this type of fitness. I look at fitness as a big wall of windows when I train a world-class athlete. And, and what I do is I look at their needs for their particular sport. And then what I do is I do an evaluation and I look at where are they within these needs. So if the window for strength is this huge window, you know, like let's say you have an offensive lineman for playing football, the guy's 300 plus pounds, he needs huge amounts of strength because the opposing player on the other side is trying to move him out of the way. So strength is a monster window and power is a monster window. Long cardio is a very small window for him. But what I tell my clients is you need to open a window to all of these at different points in the week. So you want to look at that. And sometimes the window's cracked and sometimes the window's wide open. And if you're a competitive athlete, all the windows are open at the same time in a match or a competition. That's when everything's open, metal, strength, all of these windows that are necessary to be world-class are wide open because you need everything you have when you're in a competitive environment. So that's when they're wide open. In the meantime, strength is your ability to generate a force. So those are your grunting exercises, I tell people. And I believe that you need to lift heavier at some point for both men and women. And everybody has a tendency to be afraid of it. Oh, no, I'm going to hurt my back. You know, I read a, an article about lifting heavy is, is not smart. You have to be smart about how you lift heavy. That's all. And you have to have it progressed over a period of time. So strength could be nothing more than holding on to a rail for an 80-year-old and doing an assisted squat with their body weight. That may be the baseline. And the baseline for someone like you who's younger and fit or someone like me may be, you know, a 300-pound deadlift. That's my baseline. So, But I want to get to somewhere between 80 to 85% of that maximum sometime during the week. And yesterday was my heavy deadlift day. Took me about 15 minutes. And I got up to about 280 pounds on the deadlift. I've had this lower abdominal injury that's been nagging, so I've been progressing back slowly. So that was my heavy day. Earlier in the week, I did a strength endurance day. So I really break strength up into two categories. Mm -hmm. Maximum strength, which is going to be a three to five rep set, and then strength endurance, which is going to be an eight to 12 rep set. So if it's maximum strength and you're going to do a five rep set, you shouldn't be able to do 10 with that weight. And so that's the easiest way to figure it out yourself. You say, okay, well, could I have done 10 reps at this weight? And not just being wimpy about it, actually saying, okay, if I really put effort and there's a huge amount of research and science behind the effort that's put out and the increase in strength, And the speed at which it increases, effort has a lot to do with it. So that's the strength component. So, you know, you could do a body weight squat. You could do a wall squat in your office. And then when you're looking at, I've been this last month writing a lot about overload adaptations. You need to have an overload. Now, overload can come from adding weight on the bar, like I talked about with the deadlift. But let's use the wall squat for an example. Well, you don't have any weight. You're leaning against a wall at about 90 degrees. How would I increase intensity? You increase intensity through time. So you're just going to hold the time under the tension on the muscle for a longer period in time. So you could increase the overload by saying the first time I do it, I'm only able to hold a minute. Next time I do it, I'm able to hold a minute and five seconds. And then I get up to a minute 15. Or if this is going to be my hard day, instead of doing 
eight wall squats at a minute, I would try to do four wall squats at a minute and a half. So that would be the minute and a half would be my heavy day and the high strength day and the strength endurance day would be me doing eight wall squats at 30 to 45 seconds or whatever the number is that you're looking for. And why, and why do you think overload adaptation is important? Because I think a lot of people, especially maybe newer to strength training, are sometimes resistant to push themselves or to up the weight or the volume or the intensity. But why is it important? For a number of reasons. Number one, there's a hormonal response when you finally get to that point that you're getting closer to an anaerobic, a very high anaerobic state, whether it's on an interval or a heavy weight lifted. And so what it does is it produces a hormonal response. And most people look at exercise mechanically. In other words, they ask themselves, they say, gosh, if I go and I ride a bike, my heart and lungs are breathing, I'm breathing harder, I'm sprinting, whatever it may be, and my heart and lungs are working harder, and they get stronger. They think of it in terms of like, it's a muscle that gets stronger, but it doesn't really work that way. What happens is your body sends a signal to the cell through the DNA that says, you're working your heart and lungs harder than you have in the past, and I'm going to try to help you out. This is what our body does. It says, I need to make an adaptation because you're asking me to do more work than the norm. So it immediately tries to overcome the load. Your body does it. Hence the myth or reality of some little old lady picking up a Volkswagen and pulling a little child out from underneath it. These feats of strength under huge amounts of stress is your body in this stress environment recruiting all this muscle in order to move or to do something that you've never, ever done before, but you're not even thinking about it because then the mind takes over. So what practice and training is, is a controlled version of that. So what we're trying to do is get an overload over the norm so we can send a real signal through the spinal cord to the DNA that represents the muscles in your legs. If not, no, there will not be any change that takes place. So you need to have these overloads in order to have an adaptation. Now, the adaptation is dictated by sleep, nutrition, active recovery, all of these things. And sleep is of such great importance. And I've been doing a lot more research on my own for myself as well as for my clients about sleep and how to improve it. So that's why you need to have the overload adaptation. So with weights, you can overload through volume. In other words, the number of sets that you do with the same weight. So let's just say I did a deadlift with 150 pounds. I do 10 reps. And normally I do three sets of 10. An overload, if I did four or five sets of 10, would be a big overload in volume. I haven't overloaded the weight anymore. I'm still doing the same three sets of 10, but I just added more volume in total. If I wanted to overload in intensity, instead of doing three sets of 10, I may do three sets of six. And instead of 150 pounds, I put 200 pounds on the bar. Now I've lowered the repetitions, but increased the intensity. The other way that you can have an overload is by shortening the rest between the sets. I could be doing my three sets of 10 with 150 pounds and say, well, normally I give myself full recovery, three to minutes or so in between each one of those lifts. I'm only going to give myself 20 seconds between these. Now there's an overload. So there's a lot of ways you can take the same exercise and this is the sad thing about the industries. Everyone thinks, oh, I need to have all this variety because my body adapts so fast. It adapts fast, but I could take four primary exercises. And the iterations that you could come up with would be so many. I could have millions of reps, sets, rest between the sets, number of the speed at which I lift the weight off the ground. There's so many ways of changing the overload that you can have a lot of variety with just the bar. Yeah. You talk about, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, in relationship to overload adaptation, how time is the real enemy that an athlete or even just individuals have a limited amount of time when change can be made. 100%. It gets less every day we're on the earth. And you really see it with athletes. I tell this when I have a pro athlete, I said, my real 
commodity that I sell as a strength coach is time. People will look at me, but what do you mean? You know, you're supposed to teach me how to lift better or to do a program design or a periodization, or come up with some way of getting me stronger, faster, jumping higher, et cetera. I go, no. I said, what I do is if you think about how many off seasons a professional athlete has, so let's say, and if I'm lucky, I get six weeks in a row with them. If I'm lucky, because they have other obligations. And so they come in, maybe I get six weeks in a row. And if you say they have 10 productive years, that's 60 weeks of total training time in the off season that they could really improve the game. The rest of the time they're playing or traveling. And then they're just maintaining their fitness and they actually detrain during the season because of injury and other things. So they get less fit as the season goes on, but they have their jobs to play a game. So if I was a poor coach and I, uh, over that, you know, 60 weeks of training over the 10 years that I have, if you lose 10 weeks of it, it's 15% of the total time that they have of their career. It's huge. And it's the same thing with you and I who are not pro athletes. You have a peak. And if you look at a 100-meter sprinter, their peak's usually between 25 and 30 because fast twitch muscle starts to diminish at a more greater rate as they get older. Distance runners, you can see a marathon runner winning the LA Marathon at 42, 43 years old because they just are looking for average power output over a longer period of time. So it isn't dictated by as much fast twitch muscle fiber. So the different sports where you'll see the half-life of a career is much different depending on the type of sport. For an individual like you or me who's not a professional athlete, you still have these issues. And I look at it and I go, how much longer can I keep pushing the Versa climber? But what I'm doing is I'm figuring out ways to continue to hold, you know, father time at bay. And by smart program design, regular, and this whole idea of microdosing is a great way to do it because injury is, becomes a greater risk as we get older. I mean, and when you think about when people, friends and, and family members that you know, you see their health deteriorate, usually it started with an injury. Well, I hurt my knee and I wasn't able to do the walks that I did. I gained a bunch of weight. And then it becomes this cascading of health events. So if you can keep that away by small doses on a regular basis, lower the risk for injury, continue to get overloads regularly, your body responds really well. And that's one of the reasons why that picture looks the way it does for me is because I've never stopped. I have a lot of injuries because if you, when you look on the website, you see my litany. I have no ACL in either knee, virtually no cartilage in the knee, you know, minimal amount of flexion in my right knee. And it, it's chronic. I have a separated shoulder. I have two broken wrists from racing bikes and crashing. They give me problems all the time. You know, not broken anymore, but they were. Uh, dislocated shoulder, partially torn pet, partially torn tricep, all of these things. But you can figure out ways around it. You just have to be clever. That's all. Yeah. You've trained a lot of endurance athletes, especially in the biking world. You can have right. a book. Bicycling's maximum overload for cyclists. Yes. How do you help that population not burn out? Because I feel like burnout is a really, really easy. It's very easy. Well, one of the things that the first, always the first hurdle with an endurance athlete is getting them to look at weightlifting. And usually they don't start looking at it until later in their professional career when their performance isn't as good or they're trying to find more performance out of their body as it ages, which is what we were just talking about. And so by weightlifting and adding, uh, when I trained Dave Zabriskie, who's probably the highest profile, he was in the Tour de France 11 years, wore the yellow jersey, he was an 11-time national time trial champion. And, you know, he was a kid from Utah who just loved riding his bike, but he was burning out at the end. He was caught up in the whole Lance Armstrong scandal, everything else because he was racing for uh, the postal at the time. And so when he realized that he could increase his performance dramatically with a lot less time, endurance athletes have a tendency 
to solve all problems with one big hammer, more volume. They say, hey, listen, if I just run more, I'll get faster. If I just ride my bike more, I'll get faster. If I just put more hours in a boat and row more, I'll get faster. The reality is after they retire, most pro cyclists get faster. <laughs> and, they, and they'll go, I don't get it, Doc. I got so much faster when I when I wasn't racing anymore. Well, because the idea of doing so much volume is no longer necessary. And they get faster. So by adding weightlifting to the equation and the ability to sustain power better, and we need to come back to this concept of power for individuals as well Yeah. as we age. But uh, then they're able to produce as good or better performance. The problem with long cardio and long duration cardio, it's very catabolic. And what happens is, you know, the reason for pro cyclists and runners and stuff supplementing testosterone, because sometimes you'll see some of these athletes get busted for testosterone supplementation. They're not taking testosterone to add muscle. They're taking testosterone because if you do a, a 20 day stage race, a man will have the testosterone of a 14-year-old girl by the end of 20 days of racing. <laughs> That's what happens because the testosterone drops so far. They're just trying to get it back to where it was normally because it's so catabolic and you produce so much cortisol. And, the, and there's an inverse relationship between cortisol production and testosterone production that their testosterone just drops off the planet. And so that's what happens with a lot of endurance athletes. So the way I'm able to do it is to convince them that through the gym and only a few hours a week, if you can add two hours and then reduce the amount of total time you're on the bike, be healthier, feel stronger, ride better, produce more power through the gym, then they start to see, wow, I get my life back. And for someone who's an amateur racer, because I, I, I train a lot of master's athletes uh, here in L.A., they love it because in many cases their marriage is on the rocks. <laughs> because, <they're> going, <laughs> you know, uh, my wife, if I ride anymore, is going to divorce me you know, and vice versa. It works both ways if the woman's a cyclist and the man's not. So that's what because because their sex life has been lost. Sex life is lost. Yeah, and time on the bike. You know, yeah, that too. <laughs> I know, you know, guys that are riding fifteen to twenty-five hours a week and then working a full-time job, and they have kids and a family. Crazy! Wow, it's insane. Yeah, that's insane. It's absolutely insane, and it also works. You know, I have looking at it from the other side, where I have a woman in her forties or fifties who's fighting aging and the menopause and all the things that it does with weight gain and everything else like that that come with it. And so what they do is they just go, I got to work out more and then starve myself, you know, because I still want to look good. Right. Uh, and, and they're driven by the pressure that's put on women, which is horrible, but it's the reality. They go, I, I'm gaining this weight. I don't know what's going on. I go, oh, it's hormonal a lot of it. But what they can do is they can, substitute a lot of that training time with weightlifting and especially heavier weightlifting and with a smart diet and they can change their body dramatically. You know, where I have women in their late forties and fifties that look like fantastic with a couple of kids and a full-time job. And I just got them to cut back on the training, but add weightlifting. Yeah. It's interesting. The mindset I think commonly that a lot of women go to, which is, I need to lose weight. I'm going to go for a run. Right. Yeah. That's it. Because they believe that everything is done by burning calories because we're such a social media driven culture. Now you see, when you see ratings of different workouts, someone, some Instagram influencer that does fitness is went out to do some new gym that just opened and they'll do a rating on it and they'll rate it for sweat. Uh, and it always cracks me up. It's, you know, if it doesn't have a high rating for sweat, then it must not be any good. So that means that if I put a guy and he does a 500-pound deadlift for three reps, it must not be any good because he doesn't break the sweat. And the mentality of that idea that everything has to revolve around sweat, mainly because the leap is that if I'm sweating more, 
I'm burning more calories because my body's heated up and I have to burn more calories. The better option is to add some lean body mass, burn more calories throughout the day, because what people don't realize is the irony of fitness. The more fit you get, the more efficient you get, the less calories you burn in the same hour of training. What we talked about overload adaptation, let's say you decide to go do like a Metcon, a metabolic conditioning workout, like an Orange Theory or one of these metabolic workouts that you see everywhere, where they're just jumping around or going from a treadmill to some weights and they're sweating like crazy. Because it's like when I was wrestling, we called it conditioning at the end of a workout. Yeah. And they do that for about a month. And what happens is the body gets more efficient. So the body says, okay, I'm sending these signals that I talked about earlier. And what am I going to do? I'm going to get better at this. And so as you get better at it, but yet you're keeping the same intensity. And, and I saw a guy write an article. He called them cross-shitty workouts. That's what he called them. Instead of cross-workouts, <laughs> he called them cross-shitty. He said, they're too hard to overload in strength. And you're too tired to overload in cardio. So he says, you never get an overload anywhere. And he goes, you just stay at the same level. And I get it all the time. People come in here. I mean, I'm doing all these hours. I'm doing Orange Theory four times a week. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm running. I'm doing this. Because they never get an overload. And in my, on my blogs, I called it training like a lion. You know, because a lion sleeps all day long. And then it goes out, you know, on the plains and starts hunting for some food. Now, it doesn't go out and say, oh, there's a cute little gazelle. Let me just kind of see if I can go get it. And it kind of runs for a little bit. Oh, got away. Does another one. If it does that, it's going to die of starvation. And it knows it. So that's why it sleeps all day long, because it's trying to amass enough energy. So, And then what it does, it creeps. And it tries to get as close as it can to its prey without the prey realizing it, because it knows that I only have one or two shots at this. And if I don't ensure a kill, in the case of exercise, the kill is the overload. If I don't get this kill, I will starve to get death and my family will starve to death. And that's what people don't get at. You have to train like a lion hunts. You have to really seize that overload. And as you get fitter, reality is greater athletes need to rest more, but go harder to get the overload. That's what has to happen. And that's where people get stuck in that rut. And then they go, well, I didn't sweat at all. I, I didn't go that hard. You know, I remember uh, we had this group versa climber class. And the first time I introduced, I introduced a workout. It's 10 30 second sprints. So a total amount of time and a half an hour workout of five minutes. That's it. The rest of the time we're sitting around five <laughs> minutes. And everyone in the class goes, Oh, Jacques, that's only five minutes. I go, just wait. I go, be patient. I go, first of all, you need to go all out in every one of these 30-second efforts. And so by effort three, they're going, don't we have more rest? Don't we have more rest? Because they're finally getting the overload. The problem is, you know, the high-intensity interval programs are really driven by the fitness companies, what they want is a half an hour or shorter workout for the same price because it's better margin. But they're not going hard enough in the hit. If you look at the research on Tabata, that he was the Japanese scientist that drove all of this about 10, 15 years ago, he did a research paper and he compared an hour of steady state cardio to a 20 second sprint. These were cyclists to 20 second sprint on the bike, 10 second rest for four minutes. He looked at all the biomarkers for cardiovascular fitness, VO2 max, oxygen utilization, all of these things to see how they compare. And he found that the four minute group and the one hour of steady state cardio, the four minute group got as much or greater improvement in cardio fitness with only four minutes. That's what he found out. Now, you gotta read through the whole thing. The 20-second efforts were at 150% of VO2 max. So you can't just say, I'm going to lollygag through a 20-second efforts. These have to be all-out efforts. And that's where the wheels come off in most of these hit workouts because they make them hard, but never hard enough. So people don't get the value of that research. 
So when you're microdosing and in there, I said, the one thing you have to recognize is you need to get an overload. You need to feel that burn. You need to have a little bit of that pain. They'll get better at dealing with it, but you want to get to that zone. That's what you're searching for. You're really looking for that and you got to get comfortable with embracing it. Yeah. Let's go back to using your five principles through like a Monday to Friday. Okay. Because I think it would give like really like an applicable picture of how someone could integrate it into their day. Okay. And I'll just give you my own week. Uh, Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So uh, I'll give you this last week and life gets in the way. So it's never perfect. So on Mondays, uh, usually I'm coming off the weekend and I'm a cyclist. So usually the weekends I get two workouts, one cycling workout, one lifting workout, but I'm going to come to that at the end of the week. So let's just look at Monday as the start of the week. So Monday typically is my rest day. And what I'll do is I'll do mobility work and active recovery. So I'll do a dynamic warm-up, which is basically some lunges with some uh, thoracic spine rotations. And if you go to our YouTube channel, all of this is on there, Sirens and Titans. And I also post on Instagram a lot of this as well. I would do a mobility work. This Monday, I did a lot of those gorilla squats. So because I, uh, I'm i playing Dr. Frankenstein on myself right now, which is that one exercise, because I want to share it then with uh, people that are using this system through the website. So it's great. You can just sit there and I'm getting deeper and deeper into the squat. My knees feel better. Everything's better. So Monday is typically that. That's usually what Monday is. I'll spin maybe for 10 minutes on the bike just to loosen up. I'll foam roll. I'll do a little stretching. I'll just do a little bit, but I call it active recovery on Monday. Tuesday, I do my strength endurance day. So, and I do two things on Tuesday. I do two microdoses. And I've been experimenting with a microdose of 10 minutes of threshold cardio on a bike. That's just 10 minutes. So what it is, is a 10-minute threshold would be I ramp up, I can breathe through my nose, but if I had to carry on a conversation, I'd start to get irritated. And it's just 10 minutes. So I'm barely starting to sweat by the end of the 10 minutes. And so I did four efforts of that for 40 minutes in different spots during the day. I did one right when I got into work. And so when I need a break from work, I just jump on the bike and I do that. Now, you may not have a bike available, but one of the things that I wrote a blog that said motivation, motivation, planning. If you do a little planning, like if you have a bike and a trainer at home, you can put that in. But this is an experiment with me now. So I'm trying to figure out if throughout the whole week, I could just do one 10-minute effort And I would get the equivalent of doing the 45 long cardio later in the week. That's what I'm experimenting with. So I'm looking at this to be a substitute if someone can't get 45 minutes of a steady state walk or hike. Also on Tuesday, I do my strength endurance. And typically this week, that was hex bar deadlift. So I went out there and I said earlier that strength endurance is 8 to 12 reps. So usually I warm up with either some supermans on the floor, some bird dogs, and I alternate back and forth. I'll do one set of supermans or bird dogs, and then I do a set of eight to 12 reps at moderately heavy weight. And I don't need much of a warm up because it's low enough. And then what I try to do is, in the second or third sets, I'm doing four sets, in the second or third set, I try to bump the weight a little. Still get the same 8 to 12 reps, but I try to get a little bit more weight on the bar. So typically, I'll start a little bit lighter, and then I finish it. That takes me about 10 to 15 minutes to do the whole thing. Now, what I tell people is, is I alternate. Maybe if I say that I want to have a focus on core, that's an area that I really want to improve. And instead of doing the bird dogs and the supermans or reverse hyperextensions, I'll do an ab wheel rollout. So I'll just do 15 or 20 rollouts and then I'll go do the set of deadlift and then 15 or 20 rollouts. And then now when you're doing strength endurance, since I'm not trying to get a maximum amount of weight, I'm just trying to get the volume in. You can shorten the rest up between sets. You don't need to have a full rest. I may just have, you know, a minute rest in between these sets because I'm not trying to put a lot of weight on the bar. I'm just trying to get some weight on the bar. That's all. So that's typically Tuesday. The and other I- thing I try to 
I just have to add the ab rollouts are a deceivingly very, very difficult. Yes, they are. Like when I hear when you said 10 to 15. Yeah. I'm like, whoo, that is like, <laughs> yeah, most people can't even do like five or two. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they're, they're excellent though. It, for trunk stability and if you really want to, and if you do them right, I have a video that shows most people pull their hips back and they do it incorrectly. So if you can do it yeah. without pulling your hips back and then curling up as you, so you unweight the wheel by squeezing and tightening up your core and lifting it up towards the ceiling. I tell people to pretend like there's a thread attached to the middle uh, part of your lower back mm. and pulling you to the ceiling. And that's, and you're trying to unweight the wheel that way, as opposed to pulling your hips back, which a lot of people do. And then they never really get the load on the core. Yeah. So that would be Tuesday. And then what I do is I do, uh, we didn't talk about power, but, but uh, I might as well talk about it now. What I try to do, and this is the thing that everybody loses as they get older and mainly because of injury. People like with my ACL problem, I tell people I can run across the street with some speed, but I couldn't stop on the other side of the street. I have to like, you know, hook slide or roll because the stability in my knee is not good enough to decelerate, but I can push hard. I just can't land. I can jump high, but the landing bothers me. And this is typically the problem with everybody as they get older. They can jump, but they just are scared to death of the landing. So you need to come up with ways to incorporate power. Now, power is, is strength with velocity. So the physics is force times distance divided by time is equal to power. Strength is your ability to generate a force. So that's the F part of the equation. Distance divided by time is velocity. That's the speed at which you move. So it's kind of like I use the metaphor of a bullet. If I throw it at you, there's not much danger to it. But if I put a huge amount of velocity behind it, it'll kill you. And so that's power. Power is what wins in sport. It's not necessarily strength. It's the ability to add velocity and movement and overcome a mass, which is your body. So on Tuesdays, I do what I consider my maximum power output as a, in another microdose, if I can get it, or I'll do it on Wednesday. So uh, this week, I wasn't able to do it on Tuesday. So I did it on Wednesday. So let's go to Wednesday. So what I did is I have a Versapoli that is also demonstrated on our YouTube channel. It's an isoinertial piece of equipment. It saves my bacon because of my knees. I don't, it's like doing plyos without the landing. But you could also do this at home with just a small plyo box or a bench, and you're just going to step up with speed. So you do a single leg step up, or you do a jump up to the bench and then step down. So that way the impact of the landing isn't there. So the power comes from the jumping up. Uh, obviously the problem is it can be a little dangerous as you get fatigued and you're wondering, oh, am I gonna hit the bench or I'm gonna fall or am I gonna miss whatever I'm jumping on? But that's why I like the single leg step ups because you put one leg on a bench or on a plyo box and then you just step up with speed and then step back down, leaving the leg, the foot on the bench. So you just keep stepping up explosively and you do eight to 10 on either leg, rest completely, do another eight to 10 on either leg, rest completely. This is a game changer in your fitness. Power, all movement is driven by the ability to generate force with speed. And what typically happens is it also improves the speed of muscle contraction, having better power. So as we get older, High-speed muscle contraction is lost, so we don't do it as well. That's why a lot of older people fall. A younger person, if they start to lose their balance, you'll say, oh, good catch, and someone will catch themselves because they can get a muscle contraction fast enough to compensate for the imbalance that's going on at that moment in time. Whereas an older person, if they start to topple over, the muscle contraction doesn't take place as fast, and they just fall. And that's when we talked earlier about getting hurt. So if you are older, these kinds of more higher speed movements, and we have some seniors that we train, we train them on the Versapoli and we work on them getting, we have an MPP shuttle jumper here doing light jumps so they can get that higher speed muscle contraction. So that's what I did on Tuesday was absolute power. Wednesday or Thursday, I do my heavy strength. Now, I did it yesterday because Wednesday was just a crazy busy day for me. 
and I couldn't get to it. So I wasn't able to do it. And all I did was Wednesday at the end of the day, I did a walkout workout is what I call it. So it would be a walking in workout for someone like uh, that doesn't have a gym. So let's say you go home, you're coming home from work and you have a pull-up bar or you have push-ups. You would just drop down, get out of your work clothes and say, I'm going to finish my 50 push-ups and you just bang it out, you know, or I'm going to do 10 or 15 pull-ups. That's all I did on Wednesday because I was unable. I was so busy. I was book solid and I started at five and I didn't leave here till five. Like everybody else, you get tired. So what I did is I did some pull downs on the way out and I just did strength endurance and I started relatively light 15 reps and then I rested for about 40 seconds and then I did another 12 reps, but I bumped the weight and then another 10 reps, bumped the weight, another eight reps and I got four sets and I uh, walked out the door. And so it took me all of about three and a half minutes to do that. But it's money in the bank because I knew I had no other time and no other energy to do it, but I could do that. So you need to have some of these exercises that are perfect for you, that are easy for you, that you go, okay, I can do push-ups. I'm really good at push-ups, or I can do some dumbbell rows. I can do those and get them done. So it also, there is a serotonin release when you do some exercise and when you start getting that burn and you start working, you start breathing a little. Okay, so that was Wednesday. Uh, yesterday was Thursday. I have to drive all the way down to Orange County on Thursdays. Normally, I would have tried to get my four efforts on the bike. I bought a new bike, so I was able to actually test out the new bike and go out and do a short little 20-minute ride on a new bike just fiddling around with it, doing some sprints. So I substituted it there. And yesterday, because I on Wednesday, I wasn't able to get the heavy lift. I did my deadlifts yesterday and that was it. I did nothing else. On Friday, which is today, I'm going to do some 30 second intervals and I'm going to try to do them throughout the day. So if I can't do them throughout the day, I want to get at least five of them. Now, five of them is only two and a half minutes of time. You know, that's it. And all I need is about a two-minute rest between it. So in about seven minutes, I can get some high-intensity intervals, five of them done uh, sometime today. So I just have to figure out where I'm going to fit that in. And these are these are intervals on the bike? These are intervals on the VersaClimber. Oh, on the VersaClimber. Got it. Got it. Okay. On the bike, you could do jumps for 20 seconds. You know, if you can do some squat jumps in a row, you would just say, okay, I'm going to do 20 seconds of jumps because that's an interval. A big, if you can jump and you have the ability to jump without pain, then jumps are a great form of metabolic conditioning for an interval. You could just do a 30 second jump and you just, cause it's hard. You jump for 30 seconds, you're gonna feel it. Your heart rate's gonna be through the roof and then you rest and then you do another 30 seconds and then you rest. Now, if that's too much, then do 20 seconds. You just wanna get anaerobic. So you want to be able to get the heart rate up and do that. So that will be my Friday today. And then Saturday, typically, I've been trying to ride more than this buying the new bike. But usually what I do is I go to the gym first. And on Saturday morning, and I time these workouts because I'm sharing them with everybody. In 30 to 35 minutes, I do not take my phone onto the gym floor. It drives me crazy when I see it because I wrote a blog called The Perfect Set. There is a lot of value to focus and purpose. And you get into this, you know, they call in sport, they, you know, they call it the zone. You do get into that zone where you're just on fire. So what I do is I do all my max lifts on my upper body and I only throw in one lower body. I can do it all in 30 minutes. So I'll do chest, I'll do bench press, I'll do pulling, pull downs, and I'm trying to get down to that. So what I do is I do one warm-up set, 12 reps, and then I'm doing five-rep sets, and I try to do four more three- to five-rep sets. So I go, I jump right to the heavyweight, boom, five reps, boom, all in a row. Now, because I'm in a commercial gym, I may I can't move in many cases from exercise to exercise, so I just sit on that machine, and it probably takes me about, I rest usually 40 seconds to two minutes. As I get to the latter sets, and I'm trying to get – heavy as I possibly can, I give myself more rest than on the early sets. The early sets, I'm just trying to get warmed up. So then I'll do uh, pushing, pulling, so bench press, 
pulling with overhead pull downs. I'll do arms, biceps. I'll do triceps. I'll do some core work in there. And then I'll do, they have a single leg leg press. I'll do single leg leg presses because I like to add that before I do my ride. And then in the afternoon, usually I do a ride on my bicycle outside. It lasts about an hour and 15 minutes. Now I was a bike racer. So an hour and 15 minute ride for me is short. So it's not hard. Uh, I just roll it out. It's fun. I get outside. Sometimes I'll do it on my mountain bike. Uh, Sometimes I'll ride with a group. And then Sunday, usually I do the ride early in the morning with a group. It's about an hour and 40 minutes. So it is longer. But if you're not cycling and you don't want to get good on a bike, just go out and do a 40 minute to 45 minute hike with a friend. But it needs to be at that level where you can breathe through your nose, but you can still talk. But it irritates you to talk. That's the pace you want to keep. All right. That's the easiest way for me to explain. So it's just a brisk walk. You know, like if you were in a hurry for an appointment and you were in Manhattan walking around and you say, oh, I got to get across town. It's no point taking a cab. I'm going to walk there myself. And you're walking pretty good pace. You know, you feel it when you get there. And so that's the kind of walk you want. But you want to do it for about 30 to 40 minutes in that range. The basic cardio, that's what I call the longer cardio that you get. So I'm getting my longer cardio through something that I love. And it's as much mental for me to go longer on the bike as it is physical. Yeah. And then the, the next day in lifting on the Sunday, I'm doing strength endurance. I do the exact same exercises, chest, pull, the same pulling exercises, biceps, triceps. Oh, I also do a little shoulders in there as well, I forgot to mention. But I'll do these reps, 8 to 12, four in a row, very little rest in between. And that's my week. So total time, including the hour and a half and everything else, is probably under five and a half to six hours for everything, for the whole week. And uh, But I'm doing it 10 minutes at a time. And if you took out the three hours of cycling that I do on the weekends, and if you were to substitute that with a 30 to 40 minute hike, then you're talking about you know somewhere around three and a half to four hours of exercise in the whole week. That's it. Yeah, ten minute verse. What are we're going to wrap it up here? But what are three things you would want the listeners to take away from microdosing fitness? Like three top things. I think that number one, the first thing I have to you have to believe that you can move the needle with small doses of exercise. That's number one. If you don't believe that, then you won't even try it. Number two, you have to recognize that these small doses of exercise need to be at either a volume level or an intensity level that elicits an overload. Number three, you want to pay attention to all of the adaptation sides of things, sleep, nutrition, and active recovery. So those are the things that I would say that, you know, you can move the needle with small doses anywhere as short as two minutes, you can get value out of but you have to recognize that they need to be overloads. That's where usually people make a mistake. Now, it doesn't have to be crazy overload, but you just have to know. And it's all based on your baseline. Someone may say, I just got off the couch for two years. I haven't done anything. Well, then an overload may just be stepping up and stepping down the stuff. But that's your baseline. Your body will make the adaptation no matter where you're starting from. That's what it'll do. And then you have to couple it with paying attention to sleep and nutrition goes without and on my site, it does have that. So I talk a lot about eating and, and how to get there. And then the last thing is I do have a coupon code for any of your listeners. If you want me to share. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, first of all, where can people find you? And they then can you share it? Yeah. Microdosingfitness.com is the uh, site for microdosing. My gym is sirens and Titans fitness.com uh, here in LA. And if you're in LA, and please email me directly at jdevore at Sirens and Titans Fitness, or you can also reach out on microdosing or any of those sites. And I'm really good about responding to questions. I love talking about this stuff. And Instagram, you can follow us on Sirens and Titans. And I really try to educate in my Instagram post. The last one I, I did, I was talking about the glute ham machine and how to use it effectively. I mean, one of the things that I have is a little different. I mean, I see a lot of these programs where you know, some older guy will say, you look at how fit I am, but I, I don't supplement any testosterone. I'm not taking HGH. I do all this with diet 
and exercise, and I can do things. It's not just that I look good. What I'm trying to convince clients is that if they can move better and feel better and feel stronger, you don't have to be old. I mean, there's, you know, the pressure and everyone, and, and the last thing I would say is don't use the excuse that you're too old to do that. It's very easy to fall back on that as a reason for not doing this. That's why the microdosing fits so well, because someone that says, I hate exercise, can you do four minutes? You know, I mean, that's easier to wrap your head around. So that's what I really believe that if people recognize that, they can really change their lives. And a lot of people don't realize the difference between being unhealthy and healthy and how good it feels to be healthy because they haven't had health for so long. Yeah, absolutely. And that saying, oh, I'm getting old is, is an excuse. <laughs> now, I set the world record on the Versa Climber, not for age group. So it wasn't handicapped for my age. And there's no one in this gym, world-class or otherwise, that has beat me on some of the you know, efforts that we do here. Now, sure, I have limitations. I recognize those. And there's going to be a point where I won't be able to do that. But I'm not buying it. You know, if I ride with someone, then they beat me up the hill. I don't say, well, if you were my age, you were blah, blah, blah. No, I just go, <laughs> congratulations. You're a better cyclist than I am. So get out of that qualification of, well, when you get to be my age, you can't believe how many clients work. Because we do an eval with every new client. And a lot of our clients are, you know, in that age group because... We cater to professionals and they come in here and they're in their mid forties and they look at me, well, Jacques, when you get to be my age, then you'll understand how hard it is to maintain fitness. It's not as easy as you may think. And I go, well, yeah, you may be surprised. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you can sit there and use it as a convenient excuse, but I'm a coach, not a trainer. And I tell that I just did an email with a new client yesterday. I go, the difference is if you watch a coach in an NBA or NFL they're pacing, they're yelling, they're cajoling, they're motivating, they're supporting, they're doing everything, but they're not entertaining. Fitness has become entertainment with a modality of some exercise in it as a form of entertainment. My job as a coach is to move the needle. And so you have to call yourself, if you're your own coach, you got to call yourself on your BS. Oh, I'm too old to do this, or I'm too old to do that. That's just a bunch of BS. Yeah, I'll end, I'll end it with that. <laughs> Mic drop, shock floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that tough of a coach. Uh, I'm very supportive, but I just think that you have to really recognize that you can do this. Yes, and absolutely. You do it, and you yeah. shouldn't let someone tell you you can't. That's what I'm really saying. I heard this, uh, and I'll shut up because I know we're running out of time. But there's this, uh, I call them crab people. I don't know if you hear about crab fishermen, but they can take live crabs, throw in a bucket, and they don't have to put a lid on the bucket. And the reason why is because if a crab tries to crawl out of the bucket, the other crabs will pull it back into the bucket. Hmm. So I call the people that tell me that I'm too old to do something or this or that or the other crab people. They try <laughs> to pull you back down into their bucket because <laughs> that's all they're trying to do. So crawl out of the bucket and see there's a big world out there for people as they get older. <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, well, the coupon code is MM. Yeah. It's just MM for muscle medicine. Oh, amazing. And I'll drop it in the show notes as well. It's 20% off if you uh, buy it. And it's good until Halloween. And can you share like what they would be getting? Yeah, they get the, the whole... Yeah, the program is basically... What I do is I journal... Every couple of days, either through video or writing, everything that I do, kind of like what we just talked about, and then the science behind it. So I have a library talking about overload adaptation, a library talking about the food and things that you should be eating or not eating, a video library that we're building up, and you can see the exercises. So I talk about how do you effectively build microdosing into your life. And then what I do is I show you how I'm doing it within my own life. So this is real time, all the issues that I deal with, all of work issues, life issues, everything, and how I maintain it. So I kind of unvarnish it. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be that high production quality and you've looked at it. I'm just trying to, co to communicate the information to the subscribers that you can do this and this is how you do it by following what I do. 
Yeah. I think that's a perfect description is you've done it on yourself and it's almost like a glimpse into the day in the life of Jacques Devore and how you've done it for your own body and really instilling that it is possible. It is. And it's exciting because our bodies are amazing at what they can do if you can just figure out the way to do it. But I, what I said, you said you opened the show with why is fitness broken? Fitness is broken because it's not driven by the individual who's going to receive the benefit. It's driven by an organization that's trying to generate money. That's the reason why. So you can do this. And it's not to say that you shouldn't have a gym membership. I have two of them and I own a gym. <laughs> Because I love going to a gym and there's a social aspect to it. It's not to say I don't do a spin class from time to time. But if you supplement it with this microdosing, then you really can make the giant leap forward and find a level of fitness that you never thought you could find before. Jacques, thank you so much. It was so great sitting down and chatting. I loved it. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, Or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.